reading verses 1 through 12, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you came in a little later, you may not have gotten a note page. If you would like to have a note page, just raise up your hand real quick. It's just blank notes this morning if you need one. Right there in the back. Joni, it's good to see you this morning. I recognize you back there. I'm glad you made it. Merry Christmas. Make sure you tell your family hello for us and Merry Christmas. Anybody else need a a notes page? Very good. All right. Luke chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 12. Now, we learn, even on Wednesday night, we learn there are only two Gospels in the Bible that talk about the Lord Jesus' birth. They are Matthew and Luke. Matthew tells the story uh, from the standpoint of, um, of Joseph. Luke tells the standpoint of Mary. We're going to talk a little bit more about Mary's uh, submission on Wednesday night. Wednesday night at 630 is our candlelight service. You don't want to miss that. And uh, we're going to have a fellowship right after that. If you are going to be able to be here and you can help us and sign up for bringing some cookies and other things like that, you can sign up in the foyer if you haven't signed up already. In fact, if you don't sign up, you can just bring cookies anyway. But if you sign up, that'll help us to be able to plan. And uh, so that'll be Wednesday night. We're going to talk a little bit more about Luke chapter 1. But Luke chapter 2 tells a story I think that most of us are familiar with. Um, and I want to read the passage today and I want to glean as much as I possibly can. How many would realize that the age that we live in today, uh, one of the characteristics of the age, you could say, would be foolishness. Would you, could you agree with that? Um, if the opposite of wise is foolish, then we could look at this culture that we live in and say, man, what a foolish age. When even the thought, the Bible says, of foolishness is sin, we live in an age where people scoff at the truth, where people not only act foolish, they think foolish, and from the foolish thought comes a fool, uh, from the foolish heart comes a foolish thought, comes a foolish act. And, and really, it sounds so elementary, but it really is accurate. We live in a foolish age. And what I want to try to convey today is that age has really, unfortunately, always been. And in order to be wise, we have to seek the one from whom wisdom comes. Proverbs chapter 2 says wisdom comes from the mouth of God. Well, isn't it interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ is the living word of God? And we find these men seeking the Lord in Luke chapter 2. It's the story of what we know as the wise men. I'm sorry, I, I, I think I'm in the wrong passage. Luke chapter 2 is not the right passage. It's supposed to be Matthew chapter 2. There it is. My thingy was in the right place. My mind was in the wrong place. I have it literally on my notes in the wrong place. Matthew chapter 2. I'm so sorry. I'm nervous. I don't get to preach very much, so I'm nervous today. I don't know what to say. Matthew chapter 2. The Bible says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and I want you to see this, in the days of Herod the king, behold... There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus was born in what city? It's not a trick question. In what city? Bethlehem. They're like, okay, Moses was not on the ark. Noah didn't give the Ten Commandments. Jesus was born in Jerusalem. No, he was born in Bethlehem. All right? So it says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it says that wise men came from the east to what city? To Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. And are come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, that is the priests and the scribes, where Christ should be born. Verse 5, 
And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, you'll find this. In, excuse me, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod noticed this now when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, look, I, I, I believe the Bible is right. And I think it's important that we get stories right. The Bible doesn't say that the wise men came to Herod and sought for Jesus. The Bible says that they came to Jerusalem and made the statement. Herod inquired privily of the wise men and then sought them to come to him. The Bible says, and then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now the plot begins to hatch. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced, and with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented or they gave, the word is actually offered unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Look down at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah or Jeremy, the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, that's a really familiar story. And we sing a song, actually, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Now, unfortunately, that's not politically correct today. You're not supposed to say the word Orient. But that's the title of the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. And it tells the story of these wise men coming to Jesus. And that would be inserted, in, I suppose, in many of our libraries of Christmas music. And I don't know about you, I love Christmas music, and I love to sing it. I've been listening to my fair share of it. We Three Kings of Orient Are, they tell me, was written in uh, by a man named John Hopkins in 1857 in a town called Williamsport, Pennsylvania. He wrote it for a Christmas pageant that was to be played in New York City, and from that point on, it really became one of the first widely popular Christmas carols written in America. His inspiration, of course, was taken from this passage of Scripture in the pages that we just read. This story has always meant so much to me as a Christian, and it really has meant a lot to a lot of people if you study it. Because as you look, it's a welcome reminder that those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That through patience and comfort of scriptures, we might have hope. Now, this story has a lot to be learned from. And I think what happens most of the time when we're familiar with a text is that we read it and we go, wow, isn't that a cool story? These wise men sought the Lord and we would say something quickly like, well, wise men still seek him. And then we go on to Matthew chapter, the rest of chapter two, and we go on into the life of Christ. 
But what we fail to do most time is just sit and let the word of God stew and meditate on it. Or the word is to mollify or to kind of chew the cut on it. Let's just think about the details of the story and kind of like we did last week and look and, and see uh, what we can from this. Now, we know the cast, right? The cast is three wise men. We'll talk about them. Uh, obviously, Herod the Great. And then the behind the scenes, kind of, there are these Jewish priests that pop up that Herod sought the answer for. Why are they seeking for a king? What does the prophecy say? Is there something about this? And then they give their uh, their opinions. They give the answer. Now, we've got to confess when we start looking at the cast that we really don't know a whole lot about these wise men. Um, the word translated wise men here is magi, which refers to a group of scholars who studied the stars. And though their title connects them to magic, they were more probably astrologers. Now that doesn't give them a very high standing with the Jewish nation because they were heavenly gazers. They were trying to navigate their life, so to speak, through signs in the stars. By the way, this is not a Bible approval of the Zodiac. You shouldn't study astrology. You shouldn't be worried about what your sign is and what it says you're supposed to feel like today and what it says you're not supposed to feel like today. For that, I think you consult the word of God and the Holy Spirit should probably tell you that. However, this is what these people were. Now, the interesting part of that is that God miraculously gave them a sign. We don't know outside of the star, but we do know they had the information, however they came about it. Maybe it was from something that Job left behind. We don't know. But we do know these men from the east came because God had said, listen, you need to follow the star. It's going to lead you to a new king of the Jews. Now, it was to these men that God gave this sign that would eventually lead them to Jerusalem and then all the way to Bethlehem. Now, we don't really know how many there were. We assume often that because there was three gifts given that there were simply three. But you'll notice when Jerusalem hears and sees this entourage, they're troubled. Now, I find it hard to believe that three astrologers on camels or whatever they were coming in with were actually enough to stir Jerusalem. So we could assume perhaps that there was far more in the group than just three, but we know there was just three gifts. So let's just know what we know and we could surmise perhaps the rest. We really don't know uh, if their caravan was very, very big. Also keep in mind that they were Gentiles. So not only were they non-Jewish, which we know from scripture and from tradition, really, that Jewish are very prejudiced people, but we also know that they had an occupation that was less than what they would communicate with. They didn't want to have anything to do with people who were trying to find their way through life through what they would consider magic. Well, they were Gentiles, men of science, who were seeking the king. But Herod, on the other hand, was afraid of a king and wanted to destroy him, as we read in our story. Herod, another part of this story, is a half-Jew placed in power by a man named Mark Antony and the Roman Senate. He was a cruel and a very crafty, very paranoid and very jealous man who prevented, uh, who, who would not let anyone stand in his way, not even his own family, to interfere with his rule or to prevent satisfying his own desires. By the way, it took him nine wives to finally satisfy his desires. So that kind of gives you an understanding of this man's heart. He was a ruthless murderer. He was very callous who killed uh, not only his wife, but two brothers because he suspected them of treason. Now you see kind of the backdrop. Here you have this paranoid king 
And you have these three wise men who obviously, whatever they were carrying and with whomever they came in with, troubled all of Jerusalem. Now, what they were saying gets back to King Herod. What's all the hubbub about? Why is the, why is the city in a stir? Well, King Herod, uh, let, we just need to let you know that they're here asking about a new king of the Jews that's born and they're trying to find him. What? There's a new king on the block? I'm pretty sure that last time I checked outside, it said that I was the king. When I checked my driver's license, it said King Herod the Great. And I was put here for a reason. And no one stopped me for being that. And I'm not letting anybody else stop me. So I want you to go and find out more about this king. Do the scriptures that you all know have anything to say about it? Well, the Magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. And the Jewish priests whom he sent to find the answer were ignoring the king. Now get it in your mind. There are some people in this story who are seeking Jesus. There are others who are secretly opposing Jesus. And then there are those who are willfully ignoring Jesus. Those are the religious seekers, these priests. They were ignoring the king. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Bible. When King Herod inquired of where this was going to come about... They knew exactly where to look. They looked to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The crazy thing is, even though they knew what the prophecy was, and they had the sign that people showed up and were inquiring about it, they, though they knew where this was supposed to take place, none of them went. They decided to ignore it all together. They didn't want to go and worship. They even quoted Micah 5 too, but they didn't obey it. They were so close. Um, I, I've been to Bethlehem twice, and when you stand in the actual sheep fields, um, even in the vicinity where Jesus was born, you can see Jerusalem. It's five, seven miles tops, five miles about. You could actually not only see Jerusalem, but in the day where Herod had restored the temple, you could have seen the temple. So in the very place, if they got in the right spot, they could actually see Jerusalem. And they would be able to tell that's where he's going to be born. Though they knew it was right there. They didn't go so close. They could have walked very quickly. At a five mile trek, five miles an hour, they could have got there in less than half an hour. But they didn't go. They ignored him. There's one thing true and very intriguing about the human race. Our hearts in our hearts at our core, no matter how much time passes, we don't change very much. Unfortunately, Dr. Getz used to say the one thing that we fail to learn from history is to learn from history. Our human nature is so patterned and the sin that dwells in us is so ingrained at what we want that it's almost without the supernatural power, virtually impossible to overcome. It's the same. We don't change very much. Just like in the days of Herod, people are still the same. And we fall into the same three general categories. Now, the challenge for us this morning is to identify which one. We're going into the Christmas week. We're going into the next five days where we're going to have plans and we're going to be around people. And, and, and what I'm hoping for is that while you go through your plans, and I pray that they all work out, and while you're around all those people, I pray that it's for the right purpose. And really, you could say, I hope that it's for the right person. And that it wouldn't be for you or even the people that you're with, but it would be for the Lord's sake and glory. 
That's why we're here. So let's let's look at three categories that we mentioned earlier that we could see which one do we line up in today. First of all, let's just remember that in the days of Herod, so are they in the days that we live in. And that is there are people who, number one, openly seek Jesus. They openly seek Jesus. Now, the fact of the matter is these wise men, think about this, were determined to get to Jesus. Remember, the Bible says that Herod inquired of them as to what time the star appeared. And then it says, because of that question that they answered, he killed every boy that was under the age of two. So we can guesstimate that somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe six months, a year, maybe two years, maybe they started studying the star and it took them a little time to figure it out. But at the outset, two years, these men journeyed from where they were all the way to Jerusalem. They saw something, they found out something, they followed it by faith, and they weren't going to be stopped until they got to Jerusalem to find out what God wanted them to find out. They wouldn't let their occupation stop them. Though they were astrologers, they could have said, look, we need to change our visage. We don't, we need to identify like this. We're going to go into the Jewish capital. We know that they serve a, an invisible God and that God revealed himself to us, but they don't have any dealings with Gentiles like us, especially because of our occupation. They didn't let that stop them. They openly sought Jesus. They didn't let their reputation of what they were. They didn't let their ethnicity stop them. They were determined openly to come to Jesus Christ. Why? I'll give you three reasons that I can surmise. First of all, because they really wanted to know whom. They really wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know him personally. Jeremiah 29, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9 verse 23, uh, 23 and 24 says, thus saith the Lord, listen to this, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Verse 24, but let him that glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I think in my heart of hearts that God was pleased with these men, however many there were, that were openly seeking Jesus. They wanted to know, we are coming to worship him. We want to know where he is born. We want to find him. And they didn't let anything prevent that. They were openly seeking him. They went into Jerusalem and they were so open about it, the whole city found out that these people were seeking a king. They wanted to know him personally. I think secondly, they wanted to worship him. I think that's evident. The Bible says that they offered to him gold and frankincense and myrrh and all of these things that would finance Joseph and Mary's trip to Egypt, by the way. How in the world, if they couldn't afford a lamb sacrifice, could they afford to take their family and dwell in Egypt? Him not being able to have a job and get all the way down there. I'll tell you how. God had it already planned out that these people who were going to come and give their offering to the Lord Jesus Christ were going to give Jesus a way to escape this awful plan. God's timing is awesome. Here we find these individuals that wanted to worship him because they wanted to know him. But in doing that, they honored him. They wanted to honor him. There is no doubt when you read the story that when they found the Jesus, that they honored him. They humbled themselves. These three wise men offered invaluable treasures. The Bible uses the word treasure. They presented, uh, they had opened their treasures 
I'm sorry, it says that they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now think about this. They were openly seeking Jesus. Now, whenever I think of Christianity, unfortunately, I don't see the majority of Christianity openly seeking Jesus. But I know that we should. And I would confess to you, not always, 100% in my life, was I openly seeking Jesus, but I should have been. You know, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency, listen, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For I am, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Verse 13 says, but brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It just kind of seems that Wherever Paul was, no matter what his circumstances were, no matter whether he was liked or disliked, whether it was in Corinth or Lystra or Derby or Berea or Thessalonica, he was going to openly seek the Lord. And he wasn't bashful about wanting to know him more. He openly sought him. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 4 and verse 29, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thine heart and with all thy soul. And I think that's where we come a little short. See, these wise men sought the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. How else could you account for a two-year journey and an expensive gift and falling down to a baby? It would be beneath them to do it in any other way. Rather, they knew who he was. They wanted to know more of who he was so that they could worship and honor him. Are you openly seeking Jesus? Or is there something or someone keeping you from doing that? Because we live in a foolish age. If we live in a foolish age, what do they need to see? The wisdom of God. What's the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God is seeking the Lord. It's saying, you know what? If you really want to find out what life is, you need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the first category. Just like then, there are today those who openly seek Jesus. Secondly, there are those that secretly oppose him. Secretly oppose him. Now, think about this. And once you study history, and once you learn a little bit more about Herod, you'll understand that Herod was completely obsessed with one person in the world, himself. I've been to Herod's palace in Caesarea and... Um, it's amazing. Um, I don't know for sure, but he must have been one of the first ones to have an indoor pool. Only because he built it right out into the water. So as the water comes in, it fills his pool naturally. So he could take a stone. I've been on the stone path. You can walk straight out and you can see where his, where his pool was carved. It's amazing. The, 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 the foundation of that palace is absolutely amazing. The places that he put his mark on the side of Masada 
Anywhere you go where Herod had a mark, that's why he tried to build a temple. He was trying to please the Jews and at the same time trying to please uh, the Romans, but it was all to please himself. He wanted to make a mark for himself. His own grave is really just a testament as to how great he is. Now, he was obsessed with one person himself and opposed anything or anyone who kept him from getting what he wanted because he was half Jew when news of the newborn king came to his ear He was troubled. That word means disturbed and troubled with questions, perhaps because all Jerusalem was also. He didn't like an unsettled kingdom. Um, So he makes inquiry and lo and behold, he finds just a few miles away a city named Bethlehem that was the place that was prophesied by the prophet Micah. So then the king hatches a plan. The king feigns himself to gain audience with the visitors from the east and then inquires of them. And then he made it appear as if he actually cared, as if he actually desired to worship him also. The Bible says, um, and he sent, verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again. Well, why? Well, it says that I may come and worship him also. Now, the, the crazy part about this is in verse 10, the Bible says, When they saw the star, they greatly rejoiced. I don't doubt that they saw the star and greatly rejoiced because the star had reappeared to them again. I don't doubt that. But perhaps they rejoiced because someone else wanted to come and worship the king along with him. I don't know for sure. I do know for sure the context is of the star. But if you had traveled all that way and you had gained all that information, wouldn't you be a little excited if someone said, hey, can I come and do it too? You have another mission. Go and find him and then come and tell me so that I could come and do the same thing. Unfortunately, Herod was not interested in the kingdom of the king. He was not interested at all. He lied. Why? Openly, he was saying, yes, I want to do that. But secretly, he was opposed. Secretly, everything in his life was opposed to the kingdom of God. Now, people today are also secretly opposed to Jesus as well. Some people are opposed ignorantly. What do you mean? Well, they're blinded. They've been lied to by the devil. And they've believed enough lies. So they're religious, but they're lost in their good works. They have a form of what godliness is supposed to be. They do some religiosity in their life, but secretly they're opposed to anything else than just the outward appearance. Because they're blinded. Whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Some people do it ignorantly. They, they are opposed to anything personal with Jesus because of their religiosity. They do it ignorantly. But there are others, secondly, that do it purposely. They do it purposely. And that's Herod. You see, these may even be Christians at times. They want others to see them as good Christians. They want to... The old phrase is keep up appearances. Um, They want to go to church when they're supposed to go to church, especially at Christmas, (laughs) Easter, you know, and the important times they want people to know, oh, no, no, yeah, they must be good. They must be good Christians. They want to, they want others to see them as good Christians, but secretly they have their own plans. Secretly they have their own pleasures, their own agenda. And, and, and I think you could understand here from Herod's point of view and kind of make the application. You see, a king has a kingdom. And a kingdom has boundaries. 
And a kingdom has laws that have to be kept. And a kingdom also has a purpose. And that purpose is to serve the benefit and the welfare of the king. Now think about it. If you're Herod and you're obsessed with yourself and there's a mention of another king, that means there must be a kingdom. And what if that king's laws don't match up with my laws? What if his boundaries are not the same boundaries that I have for my life? What if they're different? Well, if I'm obsessed with myself and I find out that there's another king in town and his boundaries are different than mine, I'm opposed to his. I'm opposed to China ruling over Taiwan. Okay, there's an international border that says, no, they're an independent country, leave them alone. I'm opposed to a violent takeover of another kingdom. I'm opposed to that. But Herod and some people are opposed to Jesus taking over their kingdom. Wait a minute, my agenda doesn't line up with your agenda, but I love to go to church. I love it when people think highly of me. There's no doubt in my mind that Herod wanted everybody, especially the religious crowd, to think that our king really wants to do right. And his heart was black as the night. His heart was nowhere close to wanting to go and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted all that worship. How do you know that? Because he was killing everybody that was opposing his kingdom. The Bible says, by the way, of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 2 and verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, regardless of what my kingdom and my boundaries and my law, my laws may say and dictate for my life. Jesus Christ is the king of all kings, according to God himself. Now, I'm either going to say I want to come and bow before you and honor you and subject myself to you or I'm opposed to you. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 16, by the way, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Listen, whether they be, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that word is authority. All things were created by him, but wait and for him the bible says and he is before all things and by him all things consist and he's the head of the body which is the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he that is jesus might have the preeminence now we know why herod was secretly opposed because there was nobody more important or preeminent in his life than himself the bible says in matthew 27 verse 22 Pilate saith unto them when Jesus had been scourged and standing before the Jews. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? He asked the question that was asked in private to Herod. What are you going to do about this? And you know what's interesting to me? Is the people made the same decision with Jesus as an adult that Herod made when he was a baby. The next verse says, they say, they all say unto him, let him be crucified. Herod wanted to kill Jesus at birth and Jesus' own people wanted to kill him as an adult. Why? Because they secretly opposed anything that was opposed to them. Isn't it interesting? There are people in this story who openly sought Jesus. 
just like people today who openly seek Jesus. There are people in the story, just like today, who are, who are secretly opposing Jesus. They have this affront, necessarily, but they're opposed to the boundaries and the laws of the kingdom of God. Even though they know the scriptures, there are others who willfully ignore Jesus. Number three, and we're done. Verse four is interesting to me in Matthew chapter two. And the Bible says in verse three, when Herod the king had heard these things, everything that troubled Jerusalem, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Verse four, and when he had gathered all notice, the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, well, here's where it is in Bethlehem of Judea, because it's written in the prophecy and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And, 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 and these are the priests and the scribes. Now, now, don't let that just flow right by. These are the people in charge of Judaism. These are people in charge of the religious practices and disciplines of the people of God in Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion, the place where God had put his name. These are the people who are supposed to know God more than anybody else. These are the people who are studied. These are the people who are learned. These are the people who, in order to be what they are, have to keep all of the law, like Paul, blamelessly. They have to serve day and night. They have to be on the same page as God. And outwardly, they were. They had the words of God in their hand. You need to understand, they didn't, the, 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 the normal person just didn't go home with scriptures in their pocket. They only had what they could memorize and write down and clarify later. It was the priests and the scribes who wrote it out meticulously, who took pains to make sure there was no error in the scripture that they had them personally and they could review them every day. Uh, in, in uh, Israel, one of the sites that you go to in Masada, if he's there, there is an actual scribe that has a little chamber on the top of Masada and they have a little sitting area on the outside and you can go and peer in this old wood door and, and the room is probably the room is probably about the size from this door on the sides of the stage that way. That's all the bigger it is. And there's a door. You can peer in there and there's a scribe sitting there with his inkwell and his whatever he's writing on his scroll and he is meticulously going through the word of God. Every jot and every tittle he knows about and he cares about and they're in his possession. That is his copy of the word of God. Now think about that. That's who he inquires of. These people who are very regimented in the word of God. They know it. They know it backwards and forwards. They, these people had the scriptures. The Bible says that Herod sought their advice because they had God's word. They were supposed to know about these things. They were, they knew where to look and where to find Herod and where he would be looking for the king. They knew all these things. They knew all about the Messiah. They knew where he would be born. They knew how the Bible prophesied in Isaiah for unto us is born this day in the city of David, a savior, a child is born unto a virgin. They had all of that information, but they never went to see him. They willfully ignored the situation. Honestly, I don't even know if they were even curious. Perhaps, maybe, we don't know. Perhaps they didn't like the messengers. Maybe they didn't like the fact that there were Gentiles. And, and, and they were being told. Maybe they were a little bit mm, angry, bitter, jealous, filled with strife because someone else 
had come and inquired and they were willing to go. You know how that is. Someone else has a zeal for the Lord that's not quite like yours. And, you know, they really enjoy being in love with Jesus. And they really enjoy telling their testimony. And they really enjoy trying to be encouraged in the Lord. And when someone who's not right with the Lord sees that, they can get, feel a little off about it. You know, I've been around people who are so full of encouragement and vitality. I go, I don't want to be around that person anymore. That drives me crazy. They are so happy in Jesus. And I'm just not happy right now. <laughs> you drive me crazy with the joy of the Lord. Get away from me. Why are you so happy? I love Jesus. Well, I don't too, but I'm not happy about it. You know what I mean? It, 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 you, you can just feel, you, sometimes you feel down and, and you get around somebody who doesn't seem to be that down all the time. And you kind of like, man, that, that kind of bothers me. The fact that they really love the Lord bothers you. These people, maybe it was the messengers. Maybe it was the fact that they had a zeal. Maybe it was the fact that they were Gentiles. They didn't want to be told what to do. By someone who wasn't a Jew. That rhymes. They, they didn't want to be told. Maybe it was because they were magi. What do you guys do for a living? We're magi. <gasps> Get the scribes. We need to exercise them before they go anywhere. Maybe it was that. I don't know. We could surmise. We don't know. But we do know that they willfully ignored what the word of God said. You get it? They willfully ignored it. They had it in their possession. They ignored it. Maybe they didn't like them, the messengers. Perhaps they didn't like the notion that the king was a baby. What they wanted was a full-grown man. Preferably, God, if you're going to send us a Messiah, could you have him command a thriving army so that we could rid and purge this nation from Rome? Preferably. He's a baby? Why am I going to... What kind of a threat is a baby? King, why are you threatened from a baby? I mean, really, if he's a king, you're going to kill him before we find out if he's the king? We don't know. So what did they do? They did nothing. Their expectations weren't met, either by the messengers or the message. In other words, they had the information. They had the words of the living God that they needed so desperately. But they didn't have ears to hear it. Now, it's interesting to me. They made a willful decision to do nothing about what they knew. They had the words spoken to them. Even some of them probably wrote it. But they chose not to do anything about it. You know, it's interesting. When you look up the phrase that Jesus used to use, and it's all through the New Testament, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's not just the fact that it's used many, many times. But if you boil it down, it's probably around five to six times that are differently placed. And every time that the phrase is used, it's about something extremely important. And yet the people to whom Jesus used that phrase to Though they heard his words, they weren't listening. The Bible says in Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor fit for the dunghill, but men cast it out. Listen, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. See, these scribes and the priests, they heard, but they weren't willing. That's what the phrase means. If you have ears, then use them to purposely hear. Lord, I want to know what you're saying. They just said it's going to be born there. They didn't care about it. Another time in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels and shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. It just seems like every time 
that God is, Jesus is really serious about something. He says, look, I'm saying something very important. Now, you should want to hear this. You would think that the priests and the scribes would want to find out what they've heard all along. Oh, this is it. But we don't like the message because of the messenger. We don't like it because it's not fulfilling our expectations. So they willfully ignored the Lord Jesus Christ, even though others were openly seeking him and the king was secretly opposing him. Now, Christmas time to me then is the perfect time to reset our sights on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the centerpiece of this season. Do you all understand that? Jesus is the reason for Christmas. This is why we say Merry Christmas. This is why we don't sign cards Xmas. We don't want to cut Christ out of anything. We want to put him in the forefront of everything because he's the most important part. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, but something or someone has kept you from getting to the Lord on a regular basis. These men didn't let anything stop them. They were going to get there however long it took. You just see determination in the story. And this morning, you need to follow the light of truth to bring you back to the Lord. My question is, will you follow that light? We have ears to hear. Will you hear the truth? Will you seek the Lord with your heart? Because true wise men still seek the Lord. And for that, there's much to be said. The Bible says the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge or right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The ear that heareth reproof of life abideth among the wise. The ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. And when he is wise, uh, and when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Bow down thine ear, God said, and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall with all be fitted in thy lips, that thy trust may be in the Lord. I've made known to thee this day, even to thee, have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Man, the amazing thing about wisdom is that it's available to every one of us. We don't have to be astrologers. We don't have to be from the east, north, or the south in order to be wise. All we have to do is openly seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer this morning. Father, I thank you so much for the simple truths. Uh, Lord, I'm afraid sometimes that we don't want to address, we, we, we kind of pass by the low-hanging fruit because we think there's something deeper or more uh, powerful. And yet, God, it, it's, it's the fruit that you put right before us that we miss so much so often. And so, God, today, I, I want to thank you for seeking us openly. I want to thank you for manifesting your love to us openly. And, and there's no greater love that ever has been shown in earth and in time than when you laid down your life for us. And, God, that begins in Bethlehem. Father, I thank you for the story of these so-called wise men that came from the east. And, Lord, the power of their story. And, Lord, this morning, I want to ask that you would help us now to recognize where we are in our spiritual life. Lord, 2000 and, 
21 is almost over. And Lord, we have much to account for in the last 11 and a half months. Lord, what I pray, though, is for the, le- for the next two weeks of this year, that we would use it as a time to push the reset button in our relationship with you. That you would, Lord, make yourself very known and heard through your word. And Lord, as you do so, that your Holy Spirit would then give us guidance as not only to how to pray, but how to live. With heads bowed and eyes closed as Jenna begins to play this morning, I wonder... 